Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. As we all know, one Peter should be teaching us to grow in faith and faithfulness all of the time, but especially when we are suffering. And this week, a big idea for week 16 of 1 Peter, here we go, suffering is provided by God for your torture, no, for your joy, keep putting your faith in Christ. Um, That might sound repetitive at this point, and that's a good thing, all right? We want to make sure that these big ideas are really getting drilled down deep into our brain, okay? So suffering is something that is provided to us for our joy, and we should keep putting our faith in Christ. That's going to be Peter's encouragement to us this week, and I hope that we walk away from this um, knowing exactly what I'm talking about here. Let's read the passage one more time. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those that do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's just start at the beginning. Beloved. This is love language from Peter, right? He's saying friends, fellow Christians. He's not speaking to them as a pope. (laughs) We're going to see next week he is speaking to them as an elder, much like the leaders of, of their churches. But he's not lording authority over them, right? He says beloved. He's a shepherd. He is caring for them. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Do not be surprised, right? Two weeks ago, someone was surprised, right? Uh, Sinners were surprised when we do not join them in the same flood of debauchery that they take part in. That's a surprise. Peter is saying, don't be surprised by this. It's not a surprise. But we already knew that too. Uh, There's a couple reasons why it's not a surprise. The first of which is that Jesus suffered, okay? If your leader suffers, if the one that your faith is founded upon suffers, it makes sense as an extension that you too would suffer, okay? 
But also, it makes sense because back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Peter already reminded everyone of this. This is going to happen. In fact, it's happening to you right now. So Peter says, do not be surprised when it comes upon you. But not just when it comes upon you. It's not if it comes upon you. It is when it comes upon you. It's going to. But here's the important part. As we learned about in chapter 1 as well, it's to test you. Hold on. Is God supposed to be testing us? Is this supposed to be, uh, like, should I study for this? <laughs> Do I need to um, prepare to meet the test and to make sure that I pass it? No. Well, yes and no, right? We learned in chapter 1 that this test is something that you've already passed. You've already passed it. In fact, if you are being tested and are successful at the test, you've already passed it. Okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, except for to say this. Jesus passed the test for us, right? It's his righteousness for our unrighteousness. We saw that throughout the entirety of 1 Peter thus far, and we're going to continue to see that. But the test is necessary. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Peter's going to further explain this as we continue this morning. It's not something strange, though. And in fact, next week, when we get into chapter 5, we're going to see not only is it not something strange because it happened to Jesus, and not only is it not something strange because it's a test that is going to take place, but it's not strange because it, everyone else is experiencing it as well. Throughout the entire Christian world, Peter says. Everyone else, your brothers and sisters throughout the world are experiencing it. So suffering is not a surprise. Suffering is not a surprise. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. All right, now Peter's telling us to do something which is difficult here, right? Be happy, as it were. Okay, maybe not be happy. That might be a little too coarse for this passage. But rejoice. Um, be excited. Be anxious for the suffering that is on you right now. Rejoice only in so much as the suffering that you are taking part in is the same kind of suffering that Christ had. Does that mean that we must be flogged and nailed to a cross? Well, Peter was, but he's not necessarily saying that. What kind of suffering is he talking about here? It's suffering that's done in the same spirit, the same state of mind that Christ had, the same name that Christ bears, right? It's done in the name of Jesus. And now here's something really interesting that Peter's going to throw at us. Insofar as we're suffering in the name of Christ, um, insofar as we're rejoicing now, wait for it, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Okay, so if you're rejoicing and suffering now, look, if you're being tested 
and your suffering, he's saying, it's a good sign, like we read about in chapter 1, that this is a test, it's a, it's a fiery trial, it's a refining fire that's taking out the impurities. Okay, It's taking out the impurities, and the joy that you have now in being refined, in being made more pure, if you want to say it like that, you will have even more of that later. When Jesus' glory is revealed at the end of time, at the end of salvation history, you will also rejoice and be glad during that time. Now we're running up against something that we've touched on throughout 1 Peter, but honestly, it's hard to focus on all the time while preaching. I walk a line when preaching, and we all walk a line in our lives when we're studying the Scriptures. And this line looks like this, that on one side of the line is we care very deeply about holiness. In fact, our holiness is going to get us to heaven. On the other side of that line is Jesus has totally won the victory for us. Therefore, I don't need to worry about what my life looks like. We want to keep on this line, okay? I hate this word balance, maybe because I'm not a very balanced person, okay? (laughs) But we need to focus on this balance that we see in Scripture. Peter has done this for us. Peter doesn't let us off the hook, right? There are four things that one Peter has primarily been about, and it's actually on the sheets that are up here today. Suffering, hope, holiness, and Jesus. Look, if we're sharing in the mind of Christ, it's not just that we're speaking his name and declaring his name. It's that we're also striving to live a life like Christ. We do not have the mind of Christ in our suffering if we are not also trying to live like Christ. So this refining fire, it sounds just as painful as it really is, and I think think as I look around and as I know all of you, we know what this fire feels like, right? It feels like failure and hoping to do better tomorrow, but also with the comfort that we have over here of Jesus being the sacrifice on our behalf. We don't get to choose either side of this line. We have to stay on the line. And realizing that holiness is important. In fact, Peter is going to keep pushing this idea of holiness throughout these couple of verses. Here's a question, though. If we don't have joy through suffering now, what do we have? What do we have? And you can fill any word in that you like here. Um, But I think that over the last couple of weeks, we have a pretty good idea of what we do have, and that should be fear. That should be fear. So long story short, in these first two verses, Christian, speaking to myself now too here, if you have not experienced suffering that has brought you closer to Christ, I'm not telling you to sit there and examine your soul and say, oh, I just don't know if I'm saved. 
what I'm telling you is <laughs> that you do need to think deeply about what it is that Christ has called you to. Right? Here's the deal with fruit, too. Because really what we're talking about here is fruit of the Spirit. Now, Paul gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit, and I would mess it up right now, so I'm not even going to try. My children know it better than I do because they have a really nice little song that goes along with it, okay? Um, And I would mess up the tune to that. But here's the deal. Um, Are those the only fruit that we have? No, not really. Because suffering also produces a fruit in us. And we've seen it throughout this passage. It produces joy, or throughout all of 1 Peter, it produces joy, it produces hope, it produces holiness. These are also fruit. And from day to day, you might not be able to see this fruit in your life. Okay, You might not be able to see all the fruit all at once. But I assure you that all the fruit will be there if you're taking a step back and looking at your life. The fruit is visible, but it's not always measurable. It's visible, but it's not always measurable. And that's okay. That's okay. In verses 7 through 11, too, that we studied last week together, um, we got a, here's a big word, foreshadowing. Okay? Uh, Imagine that you're, you're walking and um, the sun is behind you, and there's a shadow in front of you, and your shadow keeps going over little bumps before you do, okay? Your shadow's going out before you and showing you what's ahead of you, if you want to say it like that. A foreshadowing is when we get a picture of something in the future. And verses 7 through 11 prepared us for what we're studying today. It prepared us for the foreshadowing a picture of the joy that we have in the future. Okay? A picture of the joy that we have in the future. So, suffering is not strange, and also, suffering, strangely, produces joy. Suffering, strangely, produces joy. Peter then says this, If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed. This is a true reversal in very much like what we see Jesus constantly doing in in the Gospels. Um, If something bad's happening to you, it's a good thing. That's exactly what Peter's saying to us now. If you are insulted, not for being a jerk on the road, right? If you're insulted not for um, being rude to everyone that you meet, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Okay, great. So I just, it just magically happens, and um, this blessing, I get extra special blessing, therefore I need to go out and be offensive for Jesus so that I can be insulted more and get blessed. No, okay? Don't be offensive for Jesus so that you can go out and be insulted. There's another reason that Peter gives us here, and that reason is this, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, one way that you can look at this verse, and it's a good way of looking at the verse, but there's a a greater depth to it that we also want to look at, is this. 
If you are someone that is living out a life like Christ and someone hates you for it or judges you for it or insults you for it, you are receiving blessing in a different and a more unique way than you would otherwise be receiving it. And that is a good thing. Can you say that you're receiving more blessing, that it's somehow a special blessing that other people don't receive? Well, since suffering should not be surprising for us, since it should not be strange for us, I would hope that this is a kind of blessing that all of us are receiving at some point or another. But yes, it is a unique blessing, and you are receiving the grace of God in a special way when you are insulted in his name. Another way of saying that it is that you are experiencing the Holy Spirit's work in your life in a different way. You're experiencing the Holy Spirit's work in your life in a different way. Why? Because if you are insulted for holding up Jesus' name, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So now, here's the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this. It's proof to you that if living your life, not going out and being offensive necessarily, although the gospel is an offense to people's ears because we all either want to work for our own salvation or we all want to just live in our own freedom and still be saved at the end of the day. What we see here is that it is a proof that the Holy Spirit is, is in you and is working in your life. And here's, here's a beautiful part about it now, okay? And this is something that we're aiming towards today in our study of this passage. Faithful suffering shows, proves, if you want to say it like that, an abiding trust in Jesus. Faithful suffering shows an abiding trust. Abiding or sticking to, holding on tight to kind of trust in Jesus. But Peter continues, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or even as a meddler. Okay, I love that. I love that. Let's just start at the very beginning though. Uh, Peter's saying, look, if you murder and say, I murdered for Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Okay? <laughs> and, and that sounds like, okay, no one would actually ever claim that unless they're mentally unbalanced. But even if examples of famous preachers or famous uh, Christian activists, if you want to use that kind of language, that have stood up against abortion as the killing of babies in the past. Um, many times what this would eventually end up in is someone getting hurt because of the advocacy for unborn children. And there have been many preachers and many big-name Christian people that in the past have been strong advocates against abortion, but when they see the kind of hate that it brings upon people in the world to be standing up against it as strong as they did, they step away from it. Why? Because people get hurt. And in fact, people have been murdered, doctors, other people, 
for that reason. Okay? So if something that you're doing, it sounds, this sounds like something that would never happen, but this is something that has happened. If you're doing something, and at the end of the day, what it is that you're doing is, in effect, hating for Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Don't claim the name of Christ if you're going to do that. Or as a thief, you don't steal in the name of Jesus, right? We're not uh, Robin Hood out here stealing. Or as an evil doing, any evil thing. And then here's the really interesting one, a meddler. Meddling? Now, no offense to mothers in the room, okay? Um, I love my mother. Has she ever been a meddler? No, I can't say that because she might listen to this, okay? Uh, <laughs> it was her birthday yesterday. I love you, Mom. Um, <laughs> uh, meddling. What, what do we mean by this? Getting into other people's business. Now, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, this is actually something that I feel like is my job, Okay? I want to get into other people's business. In fact, sometimes for certain people that um, I don't know how to talk to them, other Christians, and they say, okay, what is it that you do? I kind of tongue-in-cheek say to them, I'm a gospel instigator. Okay, I don't know what that means, really. All I know is that I like to make trouble, especially with the gospel. Okay, um, It's a form of meddling, if I want to say it like that. Or, for instance, there's um, someone that I know right now that uh, not saved, and um, they're, it's a husband and wife. The husband not being faith, unfaithful, but not really being supportive either, okay? And I want to do things to him that would fall into this list that I can't do to him, Okay? And I want to get into that situation, and I want to meddle. Okay? I want to say, hey, what's going on? What's going on with you guys' marriage? How can I help you? Um, you know what? You should be living like this. You should be doing this. You should, And that's true. They should be. Okay? I, should, I kind of want to meddle, and yet at the same time, it's not my job to meddle like that. Um, just the other day, I had a very weird interaction with this person because it was very clear I was just talking about Tara in a good way, as I do, and my children in a good way, and it was very clear that he was extremely uncomfortable in this conversation. And what I realized is that I wasn't getting into his life and meddling, but I was holding a mirror up to him and showing him in the many areas that he's failing. And I'm not saying that to hold myself up because my children well know that I am a sinner and yet at the same time, there is an expectation for someone that claims to love someone else and someone that claims to be a good husband and a father and he should be held up to a standard in that way. And it's only as a Christian that we can truly be held up to that standard and it's only by the gospel and the love that we have in Christ that we can truly be held up to that standard. So what is it that Peter's actually talking about here? Well, we've talked about it a little bit before. Christians, during this time, in this place that they were living, it was looked upon as strange when they didn't live life like everybody else. But here's a big idea, okay? If Christians, during this time, went out and just started saying, hey, you know what? Roman, Greek, 
Asia Minor sinner, let me tell you a way to not sin. Let me tell you a way that would just make your life better if you didn't live like that. Now, don't get me wrong. That's an attractive part of knowing Christ as our Savior. And yet, that's not what draws us in to be saved. The good news of Jesus dying on the cross draws us in to be saved, not the earthly benefits that we receive in the here and now. But this is at least in part something that the readers here in Asia Minor, Minor, in Turkey, were running up against. Is that they were wanting to enforce the morality of Scripture without giving away Jesus. And when we start doing that, we get ourselves into trouble. In fact, Peter's saying, look, if you're just trying to sell morality to people, that's not a good thing, and you're actually bringing shame to the church and to the gospel of Christ. Because you're letting people know, maybe a little bit under the table, that they can sell, save themselves. All right. So don't be a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Don't be meddling in people's lives. Give them the good news of Jesus. <laughs> what are we converting people to? Are we converting them to good works? Or are we converting them to Christ? That's a good way to ask the question. And then Peter takes us back, not suffering for these things, but yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What name? Again, the name of Christ. Here's an interesting thing that's going on here. Throughout the New Testament, when the name or the word Christian is used, it's a negative thing. Okay, it's a name that was given to be a negative name to the people of Christ. All right, it would be like saying, oh, what's up with that guy? Well, he's a Christian, okay? Yet, this is the only time in the New Testament where this name, Peter takes it, and he doesn't use it in a negative way, or he kind of does, but he turns it positive, okay? He turns it on its head, and he gives it a positive inference. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed of that name. Keep glorifying God in that name. But how do we do that? Well, the first of which, what does Christian mean, right? It means to be a follower of Christ, a Christ follower, someone that is doing, not doing what Jesus did, right? We're not bringing people back from the dead or anything like that, but we're living a life like Christ. We're living with the same mind of Christ. We're sharing in that. Um, but also, if we are living a life in that name, as Peter says, we're confessing Christ with our lips, as we learned about a couple weeks ago, when someone asks us for the hope that we have, have a good confession to share with them, right? So it's someone that is following Christ, it is someone that is confessing Christ, and then lastly, it is someone that is abiding in his name, sticking with Christ, and bringing glory to his name. 
that is a final reminder that Peter, Peter shares to us in all of 1 Peter, I guess if you want to say it like that, of how to suffer. Suffer well. Suffer well. Here's when things get tricky. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Sounds horrifying. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those that do not obey the gospel? So what is this household? We learned before in 1 Peter that we are living stones, right? That we're actually making up the household of God. And so uh, what Peter's talking about here is not a building. However, back in Ezekiel, Malachi, elsewhere, there are times when this kind of purification of the household of God is actually being used to talk about the temple. Sometimes it's used to talk about the priests that are serving in the temple and the fact that they are sinful and they need to be purified. Sometimes that means death. Sometimes that means sacrifices. Um, But what we see here is not the, the purification of a building, okay? It's the purification or the sanctification or the making holy of a group of people. For it is time for judgment to begin. Uh, Time out. Why would judgment begin with us? Aren't we the ones that are saved? Right? I mean, I thought we got into this game so that we wouldn't be the first ones to be judged. Well, I think what Peter's talking about here is much like we've discussed in in chapter 12, or verse 4 of chapter 12, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. The judgment that we're receiving here is that purifying fire. It's a refining fire that is bringing us closer to Christ. It's bringing us closer to Christ. He continues on in verse 18. If judgment is... if If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And this is a quote from, or kind of a quote, from Proverbs 11, verse 31 that says, If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Um, Another way that you could, uh, a way that it's translated in the Greek, and I, I believe that the New American Standard says it like this, If the righteous is saved through difficulty, or saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And what Peter's talking about here is that it's not difficult for Christ, although he did suffer on our behalf. Um, It's not difficult as in it's hard to save, but it's difficult in that there is suffering taking place in salvation. There is suffering taking place in salvation. And this refining fire is something that is setting aside God's people more and more. So it is with difficulty um, that someone is saved here. Not that it's hard. God did it. He has done it. And yet it is through hardship. It's through hardship that God is doing it. I didn't quite do that justice, but we're going to keep moving here, okay? We'll say it like this. The Lord always vindicates the faithful. 
He always vindicates the faithful. And as we're going to sing here in just a couple of minutes, there's been a faithfulness that has been lived out on our behalf, and we can thank God for that. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, again, why are we suffering? Ah, just circumstance and, you know, sometimes life is hard. No. We're suffering because God has willed it. It's not something that's strange to us. It's not something that is surprising to us. It is actually provided to us by God. Which sounds strange, right? Because if I think of something being provided for me, I would like to think, "Mm, dinner, okay? But that's not what Peter's saying here. It's provided for us. Suffering is provided for us for our joy. In the here, yes, but as a picture of the greater joy that is to come. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, give over their souls to a faithful creator while murdering and lying and cheating. No, while doing good. Let us entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I think here's what we can pull out of that. Suffering is what God wants for you. It's something that God actually wants for you. He is in control of it, though. He's in control of it, just as Christ went to the cross and died for our sins, becoming our sin for us. And God the Father vindicated him through the resurrection. We have that same promise. We have that promise in Christ. So, keep resting in and relying upon Jesus. Keep resting in and relying on Jesus. As we move forward into chapter 5 next week, I'm very excited. Not just because we're finishing 1 Peter. I'm actually quite sad about that. I thought about slowing everything down because it's like reading a book. Well, it is reading a book, but it's like reading a book and then you're going to finish a book and you're going to miss all the characters in the book, right? I feel like that right now. Um, Next week, we're finishing 1 Peter and I'm going to miss it. We're moving on to something else and I'm going to miss it. I don't want to leave it, but we are going to leave it, okay? Uh, But I would hope that we're not leaving anything behind, right? Also next week, we're going to get a little bit of a a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what is going to be coming in our state of the church, our what is going on and what are we even doing here together, okay? Um, Where we look at what the responsibility of an elder is in the church, a shepherd in the church. Um, And along with that, inherently, is what is the responsibility of a church member. And what is the responsibility of a shepherd elder to the church and to church members? Okay. And 
at first glance, it doesn't necessarily seem like these two things connect. It, it doesn't look like these two things are going to come together. And yet they do. And, and here's where they come together. Um, this purifying fire, this judgment that is taking place first in the household of God. This purifying fire that is not for us to prove ourselves, but to prove to us the saving work of Christ on the cross. So as hardship comes to the church, it is the responsibility of the elders and of the church members together to go and walk through this suffering, knowing that it is not strange, knowing that there might be other strange things in the world, but this is something that is to be expected and something that we should be prepared for and prepared to walk alongside one another in. So there's a preview of chapter 5. And let us not forget our big idea for this week. Suffering is provided by God for your joy. Here and now, but much more in the future when the glory of God is revealed to us. So keep putting your faith in Christ. Keep resting in and relying upon him. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We are thankful that you uh, sustain us, that you keep us going in times of suffering and in times of doubt and of hardship. God, we are also thankful that you don't just do this for us, but you do it to prove your promises to be true. And we know that when you prove your promises to be true, the hope that we have in you um, we, we won't find ourselves being put to shame. Uh, we do not need to be um, ashamed of the name that we carry with us. God, I know that there are those of us here in the room today that are in the middle of trial, that are in the middle of hard circumstances and struggle. And God, even though it might not seem like something to be joyous of right now, we pray with those and we walk alongside those with the knowledge that you are drawing us out of ourselves and out of our selfishness and that you're drawing us close to you, that you're refining us and that you're purifying us, that you're holding us up, that you're keeping us safe in Christ. Lord, as we go through trials, as we are in the middle of hard circumstances and struggles, uh, take us to your word. Use your church, your people, to help us see that joy is ours. Both in the here and a greater joy that awaits us in the future. God, may we all... Um, Help us all, Lord. Cling ever and only to the person and work of Jesus. 
May we keep on giving all of our lives more and more into your hands, God. God, we would ask that not only that that would be the case, that you would cling tighter and tighter to us as we rest in and rely upon your Son. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.